Hello and welcome to Women in Customer Success podcast, the first women-only podcast where remarkable ladies of customer success share their stories and practical tools to help you succeed and make an impact. My name is Maria Skobepile and I'm your host. You are listening to the episode 39. Today, I'm talking to Megan Bowen, the Chief Customer Officer at the Refine Labs. This conversation is raw, vulnerable and therapeutic, at least for me. While Megan is sharing her career story, great successes and accomplishments, she's also making a point of having biggest learnings and growth coming from hard moments of your career. We talk about Megan's lessons from the C-suite, chasing your ambition to reach the destination, how does it actually feel being in the C-suite, being at the top? What do you do when you feel lost in your career? What can being defined by your work mean to your well-being? And setting the right career progression mindset. I do believe you are going to enjoy this episode, so let's get into it. It's my pleasure to welcome Megan Bowen. Chief Customer Officer at Refine Labs. Hi, Megan, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and jump into the conversation. I'm excited because I already know some amazing things that we will be talking about today. So let's start with the usual introduction for everyone. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and your background, please? I actually was born and raised right outside of Los Angeles in California, but I moved to New York City when I was 19 in 2003. I always wanted to live in New York and decided to transfer to a college out here after doing my first year in San Diego. I graduated with a degree in business and right outside of college jumped into the New York City startup scene. And so my first job right out of school was as an account manager at an education technology company called eTroc. We sold software to schools. And I did that job for almost seven years. And that's where I really fell in love with account management, customer success, customer support. Over the course of that long period of time, I really did everything from implementation and training and onboarding and retention and upsell and renewal, everything that's involved within that discipline. I was always ambitious. So I certainly wished my career was progressing faster. But in hindsight, I think it was really powerful that I had so much time focused on mastering a craft. From then, I was ready to move on to the next thing, found this great company called ZocDoc, book your doctor's appointment online. And it was early days, loved the company and the idea, ended up getting a job offer for a customer support agent. They didn't really have a proper post-sale team. It didn't exist yet. So I took the job. It was a pay cut, objectively a bit of a step back, but I thought this was a really cool company. And I figured it's a startup. I can work my way up. And after nine months on the phone, I really realized they needed a customer success team. And so I put a business case together, said, I think we need this team. After a couple of months of campaigning, they let me do it. And that was my first opportunity building out a customer success team from nothing. And so that was a tremendous learning experience. In 18 months, went from a team of three to a team of 25, built out process, playbooks for everything, and was amazing. From there, I then was recruited to go to Grubhub Seamless, a B2B food tech company, also has a consumer business as well. And they wanted to build out 
an account management function. So I was there for four years, built out the account management function, was there for the IPO, which was very exciting. And then from there, company got big. So I went back to a smaller startup called Managed by Q. They wanted me to build out their account management team. I did that there as well. I eventually became chief operating officer at Managed by Q. I took over marketing sales, customer success and operations. And I think that's where I also really appreciated how important all those functions are to work together. And it was really cool to come up through the ranks as a customer success person and become a COO. That was really uh, wonderful and another intense learning period of learning a lot within that time frame. We got acquired by WeWork, which was cool until it wasn't cool anymore. Things wrapped up. I then went to Platters back to the B2B food space, was VP of customer success. And then the pandemic happened and nobody was ordering food to the office. So I winded that down. And then last summer, I joined founder and CEO Chris Walker at Refine Labs as chief customer officer and also sort of COO as well. So I wear many hats at the company, but I'm really working to take all my experience and design what the right service delivery experience is for a B2B consulting firm which is a bit different than a SaaS company. So it's been really cool to apply a lot of my experience and learnings to this new context. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I might regret asking the first question. I'm writing notes. I don't think I can keep up with everything that you have done in life. So let's try to unpack some of this. Definitely. <laughs> Firstly, when you were 19, you moved from California to New York City. Tell me about that. Did you always know that you're going to go outside of your immediate zone? Because I kind of knew the whole life. I thought that, oh, of course, I'm going to go out of my country. Of course. And when I was, I guess, 20 or 21, I went. That was it. But how do you go about it? Just leaving everything and starting something new. What was the plan? My mom tells a story. My mom worked for an airline growing up. So we did a lot of traveling when I was a kid. And I went to New York for the first time, I think when I was nine years old, my mom tells this story. I was walking around New York and I was like, I love this place. (laughs) I'm going to live here one day. And so just something about New York just grabbed onto me. And from then on, I was always talking about when I moved to New York, when I moved to New York, when I moved to New York. I didn't quite have the courage right out of high school. So I went to my first year of college at San Diego State. But then a couple months in, I was like, no, I should be in New York. And so then I resubmitted applications for a transfer the following year, worked up the courage to make it happen. And I think for me, it was a couple of things. I think I had felt the energy of the city and just it felt like a place I wanted to be. And I think the other big thing for me in particular is Growing up, I was always a people pleaser and just always wanted to be everything to everyone around me. And I think I was realizing that a lot of decisions I made, even staying in California, no one wanted me to move away. And I was scared. So I was like, oh, nobody wants me to move. So I'll just stay. Right. I think I realized that this was an important part in my growing up where I needed to get out of my comfort zone and be in a place where. There weren't really people around me in my day to day that I felt I needed to impress or do what they wanted, right? So that I could find myself, if you will, but just have that space to really explore what I wanted and what I liked. It was tough. My first two years in New York were probably the most difficult years of my life. It was very lonely. I was confused. It was challenging. It was scary. But in hindsight, I'm really glad that I did it. And I love New York. I've never left. I'm still here. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that, that's a wonderful story. As you said, 
you transferred a degree, right? So when you came to New York, you were still studying. Yeah, I was in school for another couple of years. Yeah, before I graduated. Nice. I was just thinking as you were talking, why would you leave amazing weather in San Diego to go to New York? <laughs> and then I remember when I first visited New York, it was the winter time, just before Christmas many years ago. And I just felt like I was in Home Alone movie because everything about New York in winter is just a Home Alone. Yep. Oh, lovely, lovely story. Interesting thing. You said you were a people pleaser. And at that age already, you started to realize that you should move away and start doing something for yourself. That's brave and courageous. That's so mature for a late teenager. Being 19 is still a teenager. That's very, very good. Yeah, I was a very introspective teenager. My grandfather loved philosophy. And so definitely in my teenage years, I did a lot of reading on different philosophy and things like that, a lot of journaling. That was definitely something that I experienced and that people around me encouraged. So I think that helped me get to that realization maybe sooner rather than later. I wonder, do you ever go back to your journaling during that times and all those discoveries about the world that you had? Are you still journaling? I still journal. And it's funny that you say that because I did. I recently went through and read back some things. I actually found something that I wrote about a couple of weeks before I moved to New York in 2003, giving myself a pep talk because Whoa. I was a little scared and nervous about going. You read old journals and some of it makes you cringe and some of it makes you laugh and some of it... It's really cool to see um, how your thoughts progress in different phases of your life over time. So yeah, I have stacks and stacks of old journals. I still do it, maybe not as often as I did when I was younger, but I still try to journal pretty regularly and I keep them all. Oh, that's beautiful. Megan, you said that you've been always ambitious. Tell me more about it. What was driving that ambition and how did you channel it in your career? I think early on, and I think it's along the lines of me being a people pleaser a little bit, but I think that a lot of my ambition was tied to achieving things and receiving praise and validation for my achievements. Like, man, did I love a good pat on the back of like, good job, Megan. <laughs> um, and I make the joke with friends that I have mastered the art of fishing for a compliment. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love when people say good things about me to my face. It just makes me feel so good. And so I think a lot of it really was rooted in that, to be honest. And then I think also for me was this sense of if I were to accomplish a certain amount of things in life, that that is how I will achieve happiness or contentment. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wow. That's um, good. So what was on that list? What were those certain things that you needed to achieve? So it's funny because you then realize maybe that it's not quite true. So one of the things in my mind was, oh, I want to become a C-level executive at a company. And when I achieve that, I will feel so good and I will have achieved this goal. And this is it. This is like the summit. This is the mountain that I'm climbing. But when I got my first promotion to a C-level position at a startup that I was at, it was almost disappointing a little bit. You know, you, you, <laughs> yeah, you realize, I think, and, and I realize this now that a lot of those achievements don't actually feel as good as you think that they might. And I think what's more important in life is really thinking about what things in your day-to-day -day bring you joy and fulfillment 
what I've realized is a lot of the work that I do is really about helping others, whether it's people on my team, whether it's customers, of course, people in my personal life. But that's where I actually feel really good about myself is when I can have a positive impact on other people while also making sure that I'm taking care of myself and showing up as who I am and not who other people want me to be. I've been on this planet for 37 years and have really internalized this over the last couple of years. And it's making me really reframe what future goals are and recognizing that having some type of status symbol, some title, some money in the bank, some promotion, those things actually don't really make you happy at the end of the day. But up until recently, I thought they would. (laughs) (laughs) What a beautiful life lesson. But from one hand, I could now joke and say, well, it's easy for you to say that because you already achieved that. You aimed for that sea level for many years and you thought that will bring me that happiness that I wanted. And then you came there, you reached your summit, right? And then you said, well, it's okay, right? But title by itself is not the big deal. It's more of what am I doing on a day-to-day basis. But you still, you got there. Do you think that you would have reached the similar conclusions if you wouldn't be on that sea level, but still trying to get there? Would it be the same? It's a really good question. I don't know. Because until I actually realized how I felt after I achieved it, I was confident that this was going to be this huge milestone in my life and my career. What's really interesting was the people closest to me in my life that I love and that love me, they were proud of me and they were congratulatory, but they were like, okay, like, that's awesome. Congrats. You did that. But they're like, we love you because of all these other reasons. These are the other things that actually mattered to us. And so it's just very interesting. And I'm not sure I would have realized that with someone telling me. I think I personally had to experience it because I was so dead set on getting that done. And what I'll say is, in hindsight, what I think was really most impactful for me was not I feel like this is a cliche, not the destination, but the journey to get there. Achieving that milestone in it of itself didn't actually make me feel that great or teach me that much. But what it took for me to get there and what I learned about myself and what I like and what I don't like and what makes me happy and what doesn't make me happy, that was what was valuable about the experience. I actually love ambitious people, but ambition for the sake of ambition can be empty. And so I think what I try to do now is create a life for myself where most days I'm doing things in my life professionally and personally that bring me fulfillment and joy and that give me an opportunity to help other people. That's the balance that I try to strike because I love helping other people. I'm a people person. I love being with people. I love supporting them, celebrating them, providing support, being a sounding board. But what I've learned is I need to make sure that I do that for myself so I'm in a good place so that I can show up well for other people. And what I've done previously is I skipped that step. I did not take care of myself. I would take care of others at the expense of myself. And what I've learned is if that's not good, And you think you're helping people, but you're not really your best self when you're not making sure that you're prioritizing your own self-care. So that's a constant battle that I am fighting, trying to make sure that I'm prioritizing myself while also helping others, which 
I like to do and brings me joy, but you have to do both. You can't sacrifice one for the other. Wow, I love this story. And I have so many questions. Firstly, I think it is just amazing how you're giving us those lessons from the top. That's how I see it now. So better, instead of always chasing some dreams, it's great to have dreams and to try to accomplish them for sure. But instead of constantly thinking about reaching that next goal, reaching that next dream, Think about what do you enjoy every day and what brings you happiness and just focus on that, right? Enjoy the journey every single day. I love those lessons. And you spoke about taking care of yourself. Hmm, how is that going? What are the things that you are doing to help you out? Everybody is different. One of the lessons that I learned actually when I was COO of Managed by Q and we had the WeWork acquisition, essentially because of how everything kind of fell apart, I was part of a pretty mass layoff that I had to plan. And that was a really low point in my career. I had gotten to the C-suite, I had made it, but I was just in the circumstance where it was over one day. And granted, I was part of the decision. I was part of the recommendation, very surreal, but I had given my whole life to this company and this role. And then when it didn't exist anymore, I felt very lost. I felt that my life had been taken away from me because I had given everything to that. And it really put things into perspective of what you do for work is not who you are. And if you wrap up your identity in your work, it can be detrimental when that ends and nothing is forever, right? Everything is temporary. So inevitably any position you have, any career you have, any job you have, it will end at some point. Honestly, it took me probably over, this happened in 2019. And I think only recently, the end of 2020 is when I finally was able to process all of it and really get to a point where I was feeling confident again and in control of my own destiny and empowered to do the things that I want to do. But that also just made me realize what you do for work is not who you are. And making sure that you know who you are and you're spending time on yourself. I know everyone's different, but for me, I know that there are certain things that if I do them consistently, I show up as my best self. I love and need a good amount of sleep. Exercise is a big mood booster for me. Sunshine, getting outside is a big mood booster for me. Journaling and writing is a really good outlet. I also ask for help. I have an executive coach. I have a therapist that I go to when I need to. We're in the weird pandemic, but I love to travel and finding opportunities to travel and explore. It's good for my soul. Those are the things that I try to build into my day-to-day life so that I can have moments of rest and restore myself to feeling in a good place. And I think because I let my work define me and have such a negative impact on not only what happened, but objectively for about a year after, I'm trying to cultivate an identity and a life for myself that is separate from what I do as a profession. It's so interesting. And I love your tips on what are those things that you should focus in life. But then as we do spend so many hours a day working, partly it does define you, but then how do you make sure that you can still put all of those other things in place that you can find your worth, your value, the definition of who you are completely outside of work. Is it even possible? What are the tactical things to help you out in it? 
Yeah. And it doesn't have to be completely outside of work. It's a really good question. One of the things that I've realized about myself is, and why I've always wanted to be a people leader, a manager, I believe that I have the ability and I'm highly empathetic. And I believe that allows me to connect with people and understand where they're coming from and where they want to go. I want to be a source of support and encouragement and inspiration for others to find their definition of success in their life. And when people give me feedback that me being a sounding board or me sharing some advice or just listening or me making an introduction or helping them build a new skill has had that positive impact, that makes me feel really, really good. And so when I think about my profession and my work, even deciding where I am right now, I was very specific about what I'm good at and what I want my day-to-day to be like. So really strip my C-level title that I have right now. When you think about what I'm doing day-to-day in my current role, I am finding really wonderful people and recruiting them to join our team. I am connected with every employee at our company and working with them on their personal and their professional goals. I'm helping define what the right experience is for our customers so our customers can achieve the goals that they have, that they decided to hire us to help them achieve. And so really, when it boils down to the work that I do, I'm helping my team or my customers achieve the things that matter to them. And sure, there's stuff that I do that maybe is not as fun or supplemental to that. But at the core of it, I've decided to find a place that I can work that allows me to do the type of work that resonates with me the most. And the reality is even when this particular job comes to an end one day, I've developed relationships with people at the company, with customers that will survive beyond that. I still, at every single job that I've had, I literally have customers or team members that I'm still in touch with as a result of that. It's finding how you can find a profession that allows you to do the things that you love but not being so tied to it that it's the only thing that defines you. It's easier said than done. I think the other thing is I've started a podcast and I like to journal and travel when we can travel again, but it's creating other outlets and hobbies and having other interests. Like I love to cook. I love to garden. So it's just not forgetting those things. If work was taken away, that should be okay because you're still who you are. And I think for me, that was not true for the first 35 years of my life, to be honest. Wow. So you went through a cathartic process (laughs) recently. I love what you said. Firstly, it doesn't have to be completely unrelated to your work, but don't allow work in itself to define you. That's great. But it's so interesting when you started saying, what do you actually do without your C-level title, it could have sounded as you were an inspirational speaker, or as if you were a coach, as you were a teacher somewhere, so many different professions based on what you are doing on a daily basis. And I just love how you boiled it down to if you want to enjoy your life and your career, find those things that you know that you are enjoying, and somehow fit the role around it, right? Either it's sea level or wherever you are in your career currently, just try to do exactly those things that will make you happy if possible. Yeah. And the things that you're good at too. I really credit my career 
in customer success and account management to building these skills. When you break down what makes a really great customer success professional, account management professional, it's about relationship building. It's about having empathy. It's about emotional intelligence. It's about being a good communicator. It's about being a good problem solver. It's about building trust and having difficult conversations and influencing. And all of that comes back to working with people, dealing with people, interacting with people. I had so many different types of experiences across different companies and different customers and different teams. It built that skill set. And so not only is it what I enjoy, but it's the professional skills that I have built over the course of a 15-year career, essentially dealing with people. And when you think about that's what life is, right? The skills that you develop in this profession are connected to living a good life and being a good person to other people and using those skills to build the life that you want and get what you want out of life. And so it's another reason why I love this discipline and the function because it's just so much about coming back to the core, I think, of being a person and interacting with another person and working together to achieve a goal. That's what a company is. It's a group of people working together to achieve a goal. You can break a lot of things down to just a very simple concept. And it's interesting. It can reframe things in your head a little bit. It's interesting, as you were saying, how you have been building all of these skills throughout the years, and it boils down to only few of them, but still they are certainly different, or at least you're at a very different level of possessing those skills, right, from the beginning of your career and today. So what would you say is really the most important when you're thinking about progressing career as you have done everything, as you said, implementation, onboarding, upselling, renewal, so really all the possible activities within the discipline, and then you're moving up, constantly progressing in your career. So what are those things that you're always taking with you on that journey and refining as a skill set? It took a long time for me to really learn and internalize being patient. To get good at anything, you need to spend time doing the thing and you need to spend a lot of time understanding and having the patience to put in the work to master your craft. I think the other thing that I'll credit my career growth to was also not early in my career. I had the expectation that, oh, I'm going to do my job. And if I do my job really well, I'll get promoted every year. And my manager deserves to give me a career path. Let me know very specifically what I need to do to achieve. And then I'll get promoted and this and that. But that's not how any of this works. Nobody owes anybody a promotion. Nobody owes anybody a clear career path. And so when I had that entitlement and then I realized it wasn't getting me anywhere and I let that go and I was like, I'm in control of my career, not my boss, not my manager, not my company. So that mindset shift is really important. When you think about how can you have an impact at a company that opens new doors for you, the way that I, especially when I went to ZocDoc and was back as a customer support agent, I was like, oh my gosh, we have all these inbound calls and emails, keep hiring more support agents. We don't have a proper onboarding and post-sale customer success team. We have doctors churning. We have a bad patient experience, all of these things. And I'm like, if you zoom out, if I was the CEO of this business, I would say we have a churn problem. We have a bad experience. We actually need to be proactive instead of reactive. Instead of just building out a customer support team and reacting to all these problems, let's build out a customer success team and get in front of the problems so that they don't actually exist. Looking at the business, I was literally a customer support agent making $30,000 a year. And I went to them and said, 
The biggest problem in your business is you don't have a proper post-sale function. And if you did this, you would reduce churn, you would improve the experience, you could cut your support team in half and move half of them over to this proactive team. And so it's thinking about the business as if you own it, as if you're the CEO. What is the biggest problem in the business? And not being afraid to speak up about that. I stepped on toes, took me like two to three months to convince them to let me do it. My boss at the time wasn't thrilled about what I was doing. They told me no a lot before they told me yes, but I really believe that this is what was needed and it was. And I eventually got the opportunity to do it. So look at the business as if you're an owner, speak up, solve the biggest problems in the business, not the small problems, find the root cause. I could have recommended all sorts of process changes or this and that to solve the huge amount of problems faster. But I was like, I actually want to prevent these problems from even happening to begin with. So thinking about switching that mindset, once I took control that my career was my responsibility and started looking at the companies that I was at as if I was the CEO, that was when I started to see real movement in my career progression. That's wonderful. It does remind me of your conversation with Maya Grossman, because I read her book when she says about that ownership mentality, right? Think about wherever you work, think about it as your own company. So don't do just mere nine to five for the sake of working and doing your daily tasks. Just think bigger. I love that. Wow. It's interesting that that's exactly what happened to you. And that's where your career started progressing. Oh gosh, this has been such a wonderful conversation. And I wonder, is there anyone in particular in business whom you really look up to with your role model? You know, it's very interesting. I've been asked this before and I've also been asked, oh, do you have a mentor or anyone that's helped you along the way? And I've never really had a formal mentor. And I wouldn't say there's just one person that I look up to. I really believe that you can learn from every single person that you interact with. And so for me, there is not one person I want to emulate or want to be. There's not just one person that has helped me along the way. There's not just one person that I have learned from. I like to approach things as every interaction that I have, every new person that I meet is an opportunity for me to learn something that I didn't know before. That's how I think about that question is how can you take every interaction and every opportunity that you have with another person to share experiences for them to learn something from you, for you to learn something from them. And so that's how I think about that whole question. What is one question that you wish people would ask you more often? I think that it's easy when you're on the outside looking in to take someone's story or the lessons that they've learned and really think, wow, when I tell my story quickly, it's like, wow, that's so impressive. And that happened fast. And it sounded and like that. Sounds, <laughs> that sounds great. And I tried to touch on a couple of moments in my career that were difficult and that were low points and that were not as great, even if it seemed like it should be great. I try to be more open about how difficult things are. And I didn't have it all figured out. And a lot of things I reflected on and understood better in hindsight than in the moment, right? I was just doing my best to move forward. And so I just want people to know that I probably had more challenging moments than good moments. Can you tell me what were some of those most challenging moments that defined your career? I'm all here now. <laughs> 
Yeah. Even my first job where I was there for six years, I was so frustrated because I wanted promotions and I was getting bored. I'm like, I'm just doing the same job. I've done this job for three years. I should be able to do a better job now. My ambition was creating a lot of frustration, but in hindsight, I mastered a craft and I wouldn't have done that if I didn't spend that much time doing the same job. I knew that ZocDoc needed a post-sale team and I had to fight to get them to give me that opportunity. It's not like I presented the idea and they were like, that sounds like a great idea. Go for it. It was three months of me bringing it up and not right now. No. And then going through the massive growth we had at Q and the acquisition and then getting laid off, that was a huge blow to me. And I really felt very lost in my life. And then going to another company and then having the pandemic happen and having to do more layoffs and all of this. So it's easy to see the highlight reel and think that someone, wow, is so easy or just that happened so quick. Why is it hard for me? It's hard for everybody. I don't think anything is easy for anyone. I wish more people talked about the hard parts and not just the highlights, because I think it can make some people, especially younger in their career, feel like things should just happen when it's not linear. Building that grit and that resilience by surviving the tough moments is really what builds your character. I try to be more open and vulnerable about that stuff and I hope that other people that are further along in life can share that too. Because it's easy from the outside, think that everything's great and looks easy. But in my experience, it's usually not the case with anybody. Oh, wonderful. Now I need to ask you, where will you travel next? (laughs) (laughs) I know. I was supposed to go to Greece in the summer of 2020. So I really want to go there. But... I think maybe as soon as travel is back and we can go where we need to go. For my 35th birthday, I went to this beautiful resort in Playa del Carmen on the Caribbean side of Mexico. And it was one of the best vacations that we ever took. Growing up in California, I love the ocean and I haven't been in the ocean in a year and a half. And so I just want to go back to that hotel and back to the beach and just swim in the ocean. That's what I want to do. And then I'll go to Greece and Japan and a bunch of other places too. But I think I want to just start with going to the beach. (laughs) Oh, I still feel your pain and ah, desire to just be on the beach next to the sea. Gosh, I wish your wish comes true really, really soon. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Megan, for this conversation. It was really wonderful talking to you today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. Next time, I'm talking to Charlie Harvey, a VP of Customer Success at Zappi. If you like today's episode, write a review on Apple Podcasts so others can easily find it. Subscribe now so you don't miss out of the following episode. Thank you very much for listening today and have a great day. Talk to you soon.